Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. Hey everyone, welcome to A Little Better. We are one day past Valentine's Day. I don't know what they call that. Christmas has Boxing Day. I don't know what Valentine's Day has. I don't know if it has a Canadian version. I have a feeling that it's just all the same, but happy February the 15th. We are glad you're here with us. Thanks for listening and watching. I'm here with Drew Karshner and excited to be having a conversation about week two of Be Rich. But before we get to it, we got to talk about the fact that yesterday was Valentine's Day. So I got to do the little quiz and ask, What's Valentine's Day like in your house? What'd you do? Well, um, it was a unique Valentine's Day in my house because my wife yesterday traveled to see her mom and dad with the kids. Um, so it was the most, it was the quietest Valentine's Day I've ever experienced. I came home to a like completely dead house. So I made myself lunch and laid on the couch and relaxed for a while and did some things around the house. I did get my wife something and my little girl something for Valentine's Day. And weirdly enough, I ordered it early. So it would be here for Valentine's Day. And it wasn't. And I didn't know my wife was leaving then. And I told my wife, I was like, happy Valentine's Day. I'm going to throw a party when you guys get home. So <laughs> not well, I think. It's uh, funny. It didn't quite come together. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad she gets to see the family. It, I assume it's warmer there. <laughs> no, like the Lancaster Philadelphia region has been slammed with snow as well. So I think they're pretty, pretty cold and snowy as well. And speaking of snow, okay. I, I think the weather says six to 12 inches today and tomorrow. So yeah. Right. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> you'll be snowed in by yourself. That'll be that. That has its perks, I guess. <laughs> Normally when my wife goes away the first like day and a half, I'm like, this is beautiful. I literally work like 12 hours. I crush it. I get stuff done. I do the honeydew list. The house is cleaner than ever. And then after a day and a half, I'm in mourning because I'm like, the house is so quiet. Where are my kids? I want to just smooch all over them. I want to hug my wife. We'll leave uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate your discretion. Oh my goodness. Yeah. No, I hear you. It is definitely occasionally it will be the kind of thing where Lauren's gone or whatever. And it, it is that uh, what my problem becomes, I have, I don't realize how badly I rely on Lauren for things like just like the choice to go to sleep, for instance. And I've never lived life as an adult, like a working adult, not married. We got married in June of 2013, came here immediately. So it was like, I've only ever known my working life with, with Lauren. And she's the kind of person who like, when she's tired, she just goes to bed. Whereas if I'm like doing something, I'm like, look up. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's 2 a.m. <laughs> what, what am I doing? And if she's gone like multiple days in a row, my sleep schedule just gets destroyed because I'm just like a complete idiot and I lose all sense of time and space. And I, it's, it's, I, I don't just not eat well. I don't do anything well. <laughs> but I do get things done. It is, the, the days do seem to have a lot more hours in them if you stay up till 2 a.m. every day. <laughs> Uh, and then I'm like sick. Anyway, uh, okay, so you're like, Daddy, wake up at four thirty in the morning. You're like, I can't feel my legs. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I that was a, a sad realization when you like would stay up late and do something, and when you have kids, you realize like, 
oh, they don't care that you stayed up late the night before, it turns out. They're not going to give you the morning off just because you decided to be a moron. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Valentine's Day for us, we actually had some friends in, um, for, uh, friends from college. So uh, we didn't do anything in particular, Lauren and I, um, as a specific Valentine's Day, although we did like a special dinner with them and we we got married the same summer. We This was my friend growing up. His dad was a youth pastor at my church and we roomed together in college. It was kind of like, we've been friends for a long time. And so anyway, we did a little bit of Valentine's Day together, like a double date, I guess, in the house. And then, um, but a couple of weekends ago, Lauren and I got to actually spend a, um, a night or two away. Her parents watched the kids. So we, we had a little bit of a, I don't know that it really counted. It was just like coincidentally near Valentine's Day, but I told myself it counted. <laughs> you draw that in. You get as much out of that as you can. If it's in February, it counts. <laughs> so anyway, so also on Sunday, we had this special um, gift card opportunity, which uh, we've done things like this before, you know, where people could sign up for like, do basically like do a random act of kindness and we'll reimburse you or things like that. But um, this one was different because this was everybody all at once do the thing. And I think the number of cards is pretty high, I think, at this point, right? Yeah, um, I definitely think our outreach team is going to have some paper cuts from all the envelopes that they're like, their tongue is going to, and the lips are going to be super dry from licking the, the envelopes and stamps on but Hey, what? Hey, if a lot of people are being generous in our community and we're investing in local businesses, I think that's pretty cool. You know, it's a lot of work and shout out to our outreach team. That's not afraid to do work. They are, they are hard workers and they're going to get it done. And, uh, I was actually pretty excited with the response. You know, sometimes I'm like, Hey, everybody, you know, take your phone out. And people look at me. I'm like, I just told you to take your phone out. Like, take your phone out. Right. Like, come on. There was like, and like, uh, I, I'm actually like super excited about how engaged people were. Cause when you do talk about money, sometimes people are like, oh, I'm out of here. So mm-hmm. uh, no, I was pretty excited. Good. Good. Yeah. So lots of, um, I'm sure, you know, I can't even remember all the options, but Wegmans and a cereal bar and some other places that'll be, that'll be good for them. I, I, I was talking with them and they said that one of the places hand writes their gift cards. And so they were like, like they actually write like paper gift cards. So they're like, this will be fun <laughs> when we go to ask them for 60 of these or whatever. That, it'll be, it'll be a good time. Is places don't have digital gift cards like Wegmans right? A monster chain, you know, lots of money. They don't have digital gift cards. That is fascinating. I don't know how, like, I mean, I can't judge. I don't know how any of that works. I don't know the first thing about business, but it does seem like the kind of thing that you would want to, or that it wouldn't be that different than a physical one. But I also, again, literally know nothing. So I'm just going to stop talking right now because someone who knows what I'm talking about, is going to be like, you're a moron. Oh my goodness. So, can't believe it's not done because there is i know there are smarter people than me out there thank the lord so (laughs) oh my goodness dude i was dying when you quoted somebody from the online chat because i'm trying to figure out how in the world you're catching stuff from the chat are you like going back and doing the like stalking the comments i was dying i you know i don't even think you can i don't know but i i listen i don't reveal my secrets you know (laughs) Vinny. if you listen to this you might never know how I got that information, but I do. It's amazing how things get to my email or to my ear pretty rapidly. And so just know 
it's what a shepherd does. He watches his sheep, right? And I watch my sheep and I love them. And when they say good things, I'm like, they say good things. You know, that's funny. Some people would call that stalking and they'd get a restraining order, but you call it shepherding. That's fine. <laughs> There's a difference between stalking, like appropriate stalking. Like I feel like I, at, this, at some level I've been asked to stalk, right? You know? Let, let's not use the, the, the adjective appropriate in front of stalking and let's just agree not to do that. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. All right. So let's, let's jump into this conversation about um, the uh, Luke chapter 12, the parable of the rich fool. Um, I, I love, th- to me, this was an, a message that's outlined really connected with me. I felt like you took, I was, I was really tracking with you in particular this week um, of some of just some of the realities that this story has to present. I think, especially because it starts off with this guy doing something that seems so innocuous, innocent and wise, like uh, verse 16, like reading in here, Jesus tells the parable. Um, and it starts off with, uh, looking at the verses here, the ground, the ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And obviously Jesus is setting up this story to sound like a good thing or whatever. Like it's not necessarily wrong, but normally in like a fable slash parable genre, the badness or goodness of a character is pretty easily known like right away. You know what I mean? Um, you can sort of tell where the author is going. Cause that's the point of like a simple story is that it sort of tells itself. So when you start off and you're like, all right, there's going to be a good guy. Right. I mean, like at this point he hasn't done anything wrong. Um, it would have been easy to misunderstand these actions as having been wrong because the man is ultimately condemned. But I love that you had to go into like, no, no, not a bad plan at all. In fact, really good plan, actually. <laughs> like this is probably what he should have done after a good year. I think most people wouldn't, if you cut out the last two verses in this parable, I don't think most people would even recognize he did anything wrong, right? Because hmm. it's not until Jesus condemns him where we see his heart issue, right? And I think most of us, desire what this guy desired so like i don't think it's that far off to think our hearts are so maybe not in tune with jesus's that we're like yeah take it easy that sounds great dude like i've had people who you know talk about their retirement and say not those exact words but like hey i've saved up i've worked hard and now i'm gonna take a break you know i'm gonna do whatever i want and it's like yeah you know what you you earned that you deserve this (laughs) well Maybe not, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which yeah. And it's scary. a hard reality. Obviously go ahead. No, you go, you go. This is scary. Yeah. I was just saying it's scary to me because I live in that mentality. Honestly, when I think about my retirement, that's exactly what I want. Like that's what I desire. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was eye opening for me. My wife's so much better. I hate, I hate my wife. Cause she's always so much better. She's always thinking about like, how can we do this? And how can we sacrifice and we can stretch ourselves. And I'm always like, Hey babe, how can we be comfortable? How can we like take life easy? Like, honestly, I think that is, sure. is about a lot of marriages. The guy usually leans towards laziness and the woman is usually like the go-getter. It's not all marriages, but. Sure. Yeah. And, and, or if nothing else, there's a balance, you know, like, um, and, and that's that opposites attract reality in so many ways, but yeah, there's, there's very much an American dream. I mean, this is short of, like, let's just say it stopped with, um, I build bigger barns and I'll store my surplus grain. Let's just say it stops right there. 
at verse 19, I think you get a hint, you know, you have, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. You could maybe get a hint like, uh, you know, while that sounds tempting, there's, since this is Jesus talking, you get the sense that that's probably not going to be like the ideal response. <laughs> but at the same time, until that point, and even including that, that sounds a lot like, and this may be, you know, here's a hot take. Um, Financial Peace University's bottom line is basically live like no one else today so that later you can live like no one else. Um, and there's a sense in which that's exactly what this guy's doing. Like he's doing, he's doing FPU right now. And and Jesus calls him a fool. Now, obviously, we have to keep nuance here. We have to, whenever this is just like a big picture interpretive principle, if there's an un, if there's a confusing passage that's somewhat unclear, we use the rest of scripture to interpret this passage. And so we know, and that's why I loved, you went right to Proverbs 6, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. So there's obviously nothing inherently wrong with planning. There's nothing inherently wrong with breaks. You know, Ecclesiastes talks just about that very dynamic of like, no, seriously, eat, drink, and be merry. Like that phrase is a quote, like, and there's some sense in which there's a time for everything. That's another Ecclesiastes um, reminder that there is a time to plant. There's a time to harvest. There's a time to store, you know, and there's a time to sell, like all these kinds of different kinds of things. But um, so we have to take it in context. It's not to mean that there is no, there's no world in which you can relax, especially since most people get to the end of their working life and their health is deteriorating to the point such that like they might, they might yeah. say the phrase, I'm going to take it easy. But what they mean is like, I'm going to exist to the level of my capacity, which is not what it was 30 years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? So slowing down, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. That's a biological reality. But um, it sounds very, very American dream. And one thing that we we talked about in our writing process, that as always, there's just things that don't make it into a message because of time. Uh, we, we I think, came across this even in a commentary or an article or something that I thought was interesting. This guy only uses personal pronouns. The only thing he ever says is I. So um, he says, he thought to, he, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones there. I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain lined up for many years. You take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So this is, if nothing else, an inherently selfishly focused guy. Like this is not a person saying, and so now I'll use what I've I've got to distribute. And Joseph, your other biblical cross cross reference, that's exactly what it was. It was not like let's store up during the seven years so that Egypt can have parties while everyone dies. I mean, clearly, you know, Joseph's brothers, Jacob's sons come to Egypt as a place that was known to not only have food, but be willing to sell and distribute. So they became almost like, an international food bank during a like global or at least regional drought. So um, that was very others focused. This guy is very self-focused. He wants to make his life easy. Take life easy. I mean, that is that. And I, you, so if you're watching this or you're listening to this, you'll get a little surprise on the pronouns. I'm going to use it this weekend. So you know, thanks for giving that away, Aaron. You just ruined. Oh, it. sorry, bro. I had no idea. <laughs> I'm bad. I just maybe this weekend see like when the problem is not with his actions, it's his heart. He is very self-centered and greedy. And it makes you, it makes me question like the guy who's asking this question, because ultimately Jesus is responding this story. We don't know if it's true or not. It's a parable. It could be Jesus is making up an illustration, 
but really it's pointed at this one guy who don't forget the question he asked, can you tell my brother to give me stuff? Right. That ultimately is Mm. the question. He's like, Hey, my brother won't share with me. I want some of his stuff. Right. And Jesus sees that greed in his heart. And he totally like, I feel bad for that guy. Cause he's like, yeah, I'm going to ask Jesus a question. I'm going to get what I want. Eat this brother. And then Jesus is like, yeah, you're a greedy. <laughs> that guy's Ouch. right. Like, can you imagine that guy like slowly sitting down after Jesus told the parable, like I'm never asking a question to Jesus again. <laughs> Just, Everybody be Jesus. honest. Yeah. No more questions. We're going to go home now. <laughs> no further questions, your honor. <laughs> I, or like Jesus is like, you know what? There's no such thing as a stupid question. And then he gives this answer and it's like, guys, I think, I think that was a stupid question. Uh, Jesus is being nice about it, but like probably don't with the, how do I get more money questions? Oh man. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously this coming weekend, again, we're not trying to give away your message. We're going to be talking about some of the practicals of money and there's nobody out there who would give you practical advice related to money that does not involve saving or, or if nothing else, just simply spending less than you make, (laughs) you know? So if you've got more grain than you need, well then if, and especially if that's your, you know, that's legal tender in your culture, like, yeah, of course, like put some away. Like that's totally great. Um, Or if there's a, whatever, if there's a dispute among family members with what, how to handle an estate and there's a lack of clarity in a will, there's nothing wrong with, you know, a family member having a disagreement about how an estate should be distributed. Like all those things are normal parts of life. It's not, it's, these are not to be taken as like a super specific context thing that we have to like, Oh, that means that no, you know, there can never be a disagreement about that kind of thing. What we're trying to understand is the big picture principle that we keep coming back to that. It's not about what you have. It's what you do with what you have. And clearly this guy's intention with what he had was to, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. It's all about me. I've done my time. Now it's time for, for me. Right. And that's why we met, we try to attack our hearts because uh, the hard part about greed is you can look at somebody's actions and label them greedy and they can have the right heart and actually not be greedy. So mm-hmm. what's, what's interesting about this parable that I didn't really get to cover that much is like greed is a hardish, a heart issue. So it's, And what we see in this guy is he's greedy because of where his heart is, not what his actions are are doing. Because a lot of people could easily look at the storing up of surplus and saying, oh, they're greedy. But someone could be storing up the the blessings God has given them with the intention of like, hey, over the course of my life, I want to help people with this, this surplus. I'm building bigger mm-hmm. barns, not because I want to store it all up, but I want, I don't want it to rot so I can help people who are in need. And so mm-hmm. greed is not an action-based thing. It's a heart issue. And so I think that's why we, we asked diagnosis, diagnosis questions that are going to actually reveal greed at the location it surfaces at and its roots are versus the actions that maybe aren't always telling of what's actually hidden in our heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and th- thus the cross section of wealth and Christianity can get pretty dicey mm-hmm. uh, because as you're saying, wh- um, greed is an issue of the heart. So it is possible to be wealthy. It's possible to be profoundly, wildly wealthy <laughs> and be a Christian who's honoring God with what you have. Now, how you get what you got is that question better be relevant for a Christian. You know what I mean? If you're, if you own a company that exists on 
you know, unpaid labor in third world countries, well then like, we got a serious problem, Christian. You know what I mean? It's not just like, well, I tithe, so it's fine. It's like, no, <laughs> like how you got your money matters, you know, but like there is a, there's a difficult cross section there because a lot of money, Christianity throughout history has so often been a religion of outcasts and minorities and, you know, under-resourced people that it hasn't, it, it's a relatively new Christian phenomenon to ha- even have the possibility of being in a country that would, for instance, allow you to be wildly wealthy and be a Christian. And so in some ways, we're like exploring this concept to figure out like, okay, how does this even work? And you're right. We, we, it's very easy for us to judge because most people that we see out there with a lot of money, you're operating on the assumption that they got it because of their cutthroat business practices, because they don't care about anyone else and they just want to make themselves happy and not da da da. Um, or they made it selling horrific things, you know, whatever. Like it's easy to think that way, but there are, you know, obviously it's money is not itself the problem. The often misquoted statement, money is the root of all evil, is of course the love of money is the root of all evil. And so it gets really tricky to evaluate what other people are doing with their money. Yeah. And that's why I try not to do it, honestly, because, you know, that is a, that's a me and God, a you and God thing of like, Hey, how am I investing my money? And you usually don't get, you can see breadcrumbs. You don't get to see the whole piece of the the bread. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to make assumptions based off of what people have when you don't know the story. And that's why we got to, I have so many problems. I got to worry about myself so much that I don't need to focus on somebody else's money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, you and I talked uh, as you're getting to the two lies that the man believes that abundance equals value, meaning how I am what I have. I loved that phrase. Um, the more I have, the more I am or whatever, the, those kind of things, net worth or abundance equals security. And that's just, the more I have, the more secure I feel. And you and I have talked about this before that both of us, you mentioned it in Sunday and I agree that we, we tend toward number two, that like there's a number in our bank account and this has come up in other series. Like sometimes that number shifts, even like what, what feels right in any given moment or season. Like I feel good when X number of dollars and to watch my blood pressure and bank account be inversely related, or I guess, the same correlated, whatever, you know, like as it goes up, my blood pressure goes down, whatever. I think that is concerning because it a hundred percent tells me that there's something about my money that has control of my stress levels. And that's not, that is ultimately horrifically (laughs) short-sighted and terribly antithetical to the biblical message about who's in control. (laughs) Again, money is so nuanced because you can easily, you know, live in a manner where you're like, well, I don't worry about my money. And because you're, you're spending not, not the way you should, you're not managing your money well. And so it's always nuanced, this fine balance of like, hey, it is important to watch what those numbers are and taking care of your family and not being greedy and spending things that you shouldn't buy in this season but also the nuance of like, is that where my security is? It's always a fine line with me. And I think it shifts. So I think there are seasons in my life where I'm, 
I'm not banking on that number for my security, but there are seasons where I am. And we just have to nuance those. Like, am I managing my money biblically? That's a very important question. And some of that will butt against some of the things that I wrestle with of like, not if I'm managing it well, I can still find security in money, even though I'm managing my money biblically. And so there's these nuance, these tensions that you constantly have to check your heart against as you do this well, it could cause you to do this poorly. But if you do this poorly, you could be doing this well. And so just keeping an eye on your heart and, you know, watching for that dash light that pops and says, Ooh, your blood pressure should not be, you should not be worrying about this. Your God has taken care of you. And so it's, or like, Hey, you should be worrying about this because you're not actually managing your money well like that you know it's so it's very nuanced and hard you just have to keep a radar on your heart constantly because again our Mm -hmm. battle that flesh our flesh is naturally going to go the opposite direction of the way god wants us to yeah and and i'll admit too it's you and i have this like there's there's a privilege that needs to be admitted in the sense that when we say there's an amount in my bank account that makes me feel secure, what that indicates is that like you and I have money in our bank account. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and they're not to say that that's not the result of wise planning and et cetera, et cetera. But it's also true that like by God's grace through education and family background and all kinds of things, as far as I can tell, this has certainly been true of me. And I think it's been true of you from the moment I was in a, a real adult, let's say I was thinking like married, like from the day I got married right out of college, functionally every two weeks since I got married, I've received a paycheck. And that is, that is not necessarily in any way a given for a lot of people and much less to have received a livable wage for my entire working career. That's itself a very unusual thing. So to find security in a number because there's numbers in my bank account that could be relied upon reliably is itself an indicator that like we've, we've interacted probably with more money than a lot of Americans have, even though neither of us are living lavish lifestyles. I just mean like having received a paycheck every two weeks is something that some people, they, their blood pressure is maybe even is maybe understandably going with their bank account. Cause it's sometimes a zero, you know, like that huge percentage of people who are living paycheck to paycheck and that that could be an indicator of some very significant other kinds of problems, people living above their means, spending in ways that they shouldn't, or in other cases, just straight up not live, receiving a livable wage. And so they're having to find, you know, it, it pushes a different kind of stress, like depending on God for them means something much more practical than you and I. We're, we've created an arbitrary line. We still need to trust God and we need to check our hearts, but other people are having to have a very real dialogue with themselves about like, where's my next you know, can I pay this bill, you know, this month and next month and the next month and the next month? Yeah. And, and it's so nuanced and every circumstance is different. And so we speak to an mm-hmm. audience that, uh, you know, of all different perspectives and backgrounds and views on money. And so it's hard to just, you know, again, tell everybody like, hey, here's your step because everybody's step is different, but we need to have a, a biblical picture of how God views money. And out of that big mm-hmm. You know, picture based off of our circumstances, follow that biblical, uh, you know, those biblical principles that God has given us. And, you know, even when I shared that stat, 63% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. At first, I was like, are you kidding me? Come on, people. But then you realize 
there are people who honestly, if I was in their shoes, I'd be living paycheck to paycheck based off their circumstances, yeah. and based off of the income that comes in. And it's not that they're doing anything wrong. They are trying to make it by, they are banking, they could be banking on God to provide for them. And they're just trying to navigate the circumstances that they're in. And so it's very mm-hmm. hard. It's a nuanced thing, but at the end of the day, we got trust in God to be our provider, not worry. Cause he says, you know, don't worry about your life. I'll take care of it and follow his biblical principles, whether we have a lot or a very little. Mm. And it is about the heart. And I love that throughout history, Christians have taken, you know, whether there have been these different kinds of approaches to money. And sometimes God has used very wealthy people to, you know, propel ministry in huge ways because of their generosity. And they're depending on God for their very existence, even if just in the fact that they have to depend on God for every breath, not to pay their mortgage because there's money in their bank account for that. But like all of us depend on God for everything. But then there are other Christians who have felt like their, their relationship with money was complicated enough, enough such that they took like a vow of poverty. And like, there have been people who have done that. It was just literally, felt that they could not interact with money in a way that really honored God such that they had none of it. And I'm not saying that any Christian has money is not inherently bad. Of course, all these different kinds of things, but it's just interesting that people have throughout history found lots of different ways to do what they felt like was best to honor God in relationship to money. And it's always confusing. And that's why I love your quote from this uh, contributor. I think it was from the gospel coalition or something that you had this quote here from Jones in DZ. Uh, The hearts of the poor and the rich alike are inclined to serve money. If a poor person thinks their worth is defined by possessions, well, then they'll be covetousness and they'll sin to get wealth. On the other hand, if those who are rich become puffed up, then they think they're something because they have a lot. You know, rich and poor alike throughout all of history, paycheck to paycheck or living on a trust fund, it doesn't matter who you are. You have a complicated relationship with money because you have to evaluate it via the lens of your heart. Right. I think of the people listening in the audience to Jesus's teaching in this setting and, and he tells this story, right? And, you know, I could see myself sitting there and listening to his story and be like surplus, he's building bigger barns. And I could, I can hear myself saying like, man, I wish I was that guy. What a lucky dog. Like how, you know, he's like, I'm going to take life easy being like, Oh yes, let's go. Can I sign up for that? And then all of a sudden Jesus is like, you fool. And you're like, Whoa, I did not see that coming. Like, Oh man. And, that's that just stings me a little bit because oftentimes I desire what the world desires and not what God desires when it comes to money. And, and it's not that God doesn't like rich people. He's the one who obviously makes them rich. But, you know, it just is a, a change of heart when you realize, you know, those words, yo, you're going to die tonight. Mm. You're going to die tonight. You know, all the surplus you had, it's not yours. Like that that to me is such a huge reminder that it is God's stuff. It is a gift from him because with a couple of words, he's like, Hey, you know, all that stuff you thought was yours. It's actually mine. You're leaving and I still own it. And I'm going to give it to somebody else now. And like, Ooh, that, that stung me. It just did. Cause I, 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 that would bother me if I was that guy, like, seriously, God, you, you finally bless me. And now I don't even get to enjoy it. Like I'll be mad at God if I'm, if I'm just being, you know, truthful and yeah, I just, it's a big reminder for me. This is, this is all God's and he is, he is mm. steward. He gives it to us to steward. And at any moment he could say, Hey, listen, it's no longer yours. I'm depositing it to somebody else. Yeah. 
And so the ideal in that sense is someone who it's totally fine for a Christian to have saved up and have this opportunity. Let's just use retirement as an example and be able to have some level coast. The difference is that they have dog-eared everything they have. It's already set aside. It's in a, it's in a uh, designated fund. And the fund is for the advancement of God's cause and for the enrichment of people's lives. And if like, if you've just dog-eared everything you own as that, well, then if God requires it all of you and your life is gone and your stuff gets passed along, you know, whatever is next or whatever, you know, whatever your will says or whatever, well, then you're like, well, that's, that was his purpose anyway. Like it's going to get designated to these people and it's going to be used in this way. And like, whatever, this house is going to be used for these purposes. Well, then you're not even worried about it because it was all set aside for the purpose of honoring God, advancing ministry and enriching people's lives. And it's going to do that whether I own it or somebody else owns it. And so I'm happy to be with Jesus, you know, but that is not an easy place to get to. That's just like the ideal that we're describing. (laughs) I think it's important to get there though, for like, especially for parents who are, who are going to be passing down. I know not everybody is passing down things to their kids because Hey, based off circumstances, sometimes that's hard for people, but like, I'll use my dad as an example. Like my, my dad did good and he did well in business. And so like when he died, he passed stuff on to my mom. And when my mom dies, she'll pass stuff on to us because they, they planned well and God, God bless them. Right. And some people don't live in, in those circumstances. And so I don't want to like, you know, overlook that, but sure. It's one thing to pass thing on to a generation that hasn't seen the generosity of their parents. Right. What makes that significant is I know in my dad's lifestyle that his money was God's. And so he was generous back to God. And so that example, as it's passed down is already earmarked because the generation has, I saw it in my father, you know, and I think for parents, if you're listening today and you're a parent, it's one thing for you to set aside your money for God. But if your kids don't see that when that money is passed on, it might not go to the place you earmarked it. So it's Mm. so important not to just do that, but live it out for your kids, your, your grandkids, your, your aunts and uncles, your nieces and your nephews to see that because ultimately that's what will pass down that greater legacy versus the amount that's being passed down to your kids. Yeah. You're passing down more than dollars. You're passing down a legacy. And if your legacy is one of generosity, then the dollars get used appropriately, you know, toward those ends. Um, but Hey, dude, Great dialogue. Appreciate it. We got another another week of money coming, and then we'll we'll move on uh, to to a different to a different topic. But I'm looking forward to getting a little more practical into the nitty gritty of you know everything from budgeting to uh, money philosophy. And if anyone wants to take you know FBU or anything, we'd love to get you connected to a course um, and see how it can be beneficial to you. I know we've all our whole staff has taken it and benefited from it. Um, it's even actually it's part of our orientation process. We require everyone to do it at some point. So it's good stuff. We'd encourage you to do it and look forward to having you with us next weekend. Um, and yeah, I drew anything you want to give us a heads up on for next week, other than I apparently stole half your message. <laughs> Big illustration this coming weekend. So you're going to get to see, uh, something that I think will, it just make it, it'll make, generosity come alive from the the standard that God has created. So I'm really excited about that. I, I, I saw this illustration and it was, it was powerful for me and I hope it's powerful for you. So you don't want to miss this weekend. It's gonna be good. Thanks everybody for listening and watching and we will see you next time.